0: on this. Um, I uh, have confessed this to you before, I like uh, Home and Garden TV and there's a new show on Home and Garden TV called Rico to the Rescue. Anybody, anybody um, went out on a limb? You okay, I do have a, if Pam was in here she'd raise her hand probably because I see Christy back there. Okay, so I like that show for a lot of reasons and and what Rico does is he goes in like where contractors made a mess of somebody's house and he goes in and And fixes it for them, and um and sometimes out of his own pocket and in every one of his projects he does something called a rico extra a rico extra and it's his way he doesn't spend money on advertising but what he does is he does something extra for uh the clients uh to to be a blessing to them uh and then of course they tell all their friends can you believe this man did this for me you know and that's, what, that's how he spends his advertising dollar. And so, uh, you know, Rico didn't come up with the concept of extra, okay? Amen? Uh, the Holy Spirit is a Holy Ghost of extra. Amen, a Holy Ghost extra. And, um, and for me, and it's kind of a little, you know, pull the curtain back behind the scenes. Uh, I love to study. I love to prepare sermons. Uh, sometimes I tell you, i I, you know, I got a set of notes you could frame and put on the wall. You know, I just love to organize and structure and the flow of things. It's just, I'm wired that way. Uh, but the thing that probably excites me the most is that without fail, in every sermon and every class, there's always a Holy Ghost extra. In other words, something that throughout the course of that message, the Holy Spirit will just drop in on us all, myself included, you know, that wasn't necessarily in the notes or wasn't necessarily something that I was expecting to hear or say. And, um, and so that's kind of the extra. We're going to start with that this morning. The Holy Spirit just began to speak to me about this as a beginning thought for where we're going this morning. So John chapter 3, if you're familiar with this chapter, it contains one of the most, if not the most uh, popular verses in all the Bible, verse number 16. But you may not know that this is a conversation that Jesus is having with a religious leader whose name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a religious leader who recognizes that God is with Jesus. And he's very curious because as a Pharisee, he believes in the supernatural. He believes in miracles. He believes in life after death. He, he, he uh, you know, is fascinated by these things and interested in these things. And he's seeing them probably for the first time in his life uh, on display in, in, in Jesus' life. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, I know that God has to be with you for you to be able to do the signs, the miracles that that you're doing. And so they have this conversation about being born again. Obviously, I love to teach on on those things. But we come to verse number 12. Um, I'll tell you what, let's back it up. And um, he asks, Nicodemus in verse 9 says to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus is talking about being born again and not your flesh being born again, but your spirit being born again. And Jesus answered in verse 10, And said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Now, Jesus isn't condemning this man or or bashing him. But he is pointing out the fact that there are things Nicodemus should have understood that he doesn't understand. There are some things that he should know that he doesn't know. And, And he's in a position as a leader of God's people... And he is in a position of one who knows the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And based upon what Nicodemus had in the scriptures, Jesus is not talking about stuff over his head. But notice now, Nicodemus should have known and should have understood, but he didn't know and he didn't understand. And, and that's not just an indictment on Nicodemus. There are all kinds of things that me and you, based upon the scriptures we have, that we should know. Come on now. And we should understand. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, ask these accusatory questions of God. You know, how 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 can this be? Why is it this way? Why are things like this? And, you know, in some way maybe even like trying to accuse God of it. And God's like, you know, how have you sat down there at Heritage Christian Center for five years and you don't know these things? How, how, how have you had access to the Internet with some of the finest bible teachers that have ever lived on planet earth at your disposal on your uh smartphone and you don't know this amen so it's getting i didn't mean for it to kind of take that turn but amen are you still with me this is the holy ghost extra so praise god all right so he says are you the teacher of israel do not know these things now listen to what he says here most assuredly i say to you We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, let's stop here for a minute. We're going to get these to one more verse here. If I could just paraphrase what Jesus is saying here for you. He's like, look, Nicodemus, I've been on this earth, I've been teaching, and everything that I have taught publicly... I have used some story from an earthly experience or example to uh, illustrate the truth of my Father from heaven. And so he's talking about what parables here, right? He he would tell a story about a, a man who had two sons. He'd tell us a story about a, a farmer who planted seed. He would tell us a story. There was all of these things are Jesus using earthly things that people understand and he's using that to illustrate an eternal truth from heaven by using natural, relatable things, uh, you know, on the earth as, as he teaches the people. And he says, Nicodemus, up until this point, everything that I've told you and anybody else has heard me teach publicly, I've used something from the earth to illustrate it. Okay, and you have not believed a word that I've said. <laughs> okay. And so he says, if I've told you earthly things and you haven't believed, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So what is he saying? He's saying, if everything I've told you as far as my Father's wisdom is concerned has something on earth that we can relate it to and you haven't believed, how will you ever believe when I tell you something from my Father's wisdom that there's nothing on earth I can use to to illustrate it with? Because you do realize that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His wisdom is greater than our understanding and wisdom, human wisdom. Not just a little bit, but the Bible says as far as the heavens are above the earth is, are God's thoughts and God's ways and God's wisdom higher than our ways. Now, what I want you to see here then is, um, and if, if this is too big of a word for you, just hear it and let me explain it, okay? Is that there's a hierarchy to these things just Just like there is uh, a beginning place if if you want to uh learn english you be, you begin what with the the letters of the alphabet then you learn words and then you begin to put those words into sentences and 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 you have a beginning point and then you build upon the things that you learn and you know you you can't do algebra algebra until you can do multiplication you can 't do multiplication until you can do um, uh, addition and you can't do addition until you know your numbers. And so there's an entry level, there's a there's a a beginner level if you will of things. But you got to know the the basics in order to continue to grow up into the more advanced understanding, to grow up into the more advanced truth. And so here is Nicodemus, someone who has been uh, in the things of God and in the word of God and a teacher of the word of God for many, many, many years now, but there were still all kinds of things that he had not progressed up into, that he had not advanced into. We see this in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews, he says that by now you should be teaching others. In other words, he's saying that there's a group of people in the body of Christ ...who have been saved long enough that they should be teaching and leading and serving and ministering and imparting to others but they still need somebody to go back and teach them the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, they've they've been around the things of God, they've been in church long enough to where they should know some of these more developed and more advanced truths and, and be applying those things in their lives and experiencing the results of those things in their lives, but they still need somebody to go back and teach them the introductory things, the very basic things. You still with me? Why why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because the word of the Lord came to us a few weeks back that that He's looking for a significant shift for you and me this year. Now, we grow uh, incrementally. We we grow here a little, there a little, and and all of that's fine, and and that's not to be uh, looked down upon. But there are times in our lives and times in our journey where Father God is wanting us to go from uh, incremental, here a little, there a little, to a significant shift. To a major breakthrough, um, and and there are words in the Greek that that literally illustrate it as as him propelling you forward. So it's it's not just a, a small step, but it's a giant leap. It's 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 it's, it's major breakthrough, major progress, major experience uh, in 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 the in the wisdom of God. Amen. All right, so. Let's go back to it now. He says to Nicodemus, he says, "We speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our testimony, our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things?" No one. So he's fixed to tell him something. He's fixed to tell him something that there's nothing on this earth to use to illustrate. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of man who is in heaven. Now, are you like me? First time you read this, you know, first time I read this, you scratch your head. It's like, what is he saying here? No one has ascended to heaven. To ascend means to go up, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? Well, if you go all the way back to what first brought Nicodemus to him in the first place, right? What brought Nicodemus to him in the first place? Nicodemus's question was, how are you doing these miracles? And Jesus just gave him the answer. I'm doing the miracles because I'm in two worlds at the same time. I'm doing these miracles because while you see me here with you, I'm, I'm here with you, but I'm not just here with you. I'm here with you, and I'm, I'm, I'm with my Father in heaven. I'm here and I'm there. I'm not just there or here. I'm here and there. And because I'm here and there, I'm touching two worlds at the same time. And every miracle that Jesus ever performed on this planet, He performed by the authority and the power and the resources of His Father's kingdom. He's introducing a new day. It's it's, it's a new way. It's a new approach. It's a new new modality. It's a new new model of of God ministering to and and blessing and helping his people. Okay, now. Who said, who said, I have given you all things? Who said that? God said that. Who did He say it to? He said it to you and me in more than one place in the Scripture. One of my favorite places is in Romans 8. How will He not with Him now? He he spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all. If He didn't withhold Jesus from you, then He's not withholding any other good thing from you amen how will he then not with jesus return to his right hand be uh, freely give to you all things now i'm not here to expound upon all of that we will expound on it some more in the days ahead i'll tell you where else we see it and we see it in one of jesus's stories in one of jesus's parables and we call it the prodigal son. It was a, the, the Jesus didn't just talk about the younger brother who wasted his inheritance. He also talked about the older brother. And the older brother was all been out of shape because he stayed there instead of going and sowing wild oats. And, and his father never even killed a goat for him and his friends. But now this son of yours goes and wastes his inheritance with, with prostitutes and riotous living. And he comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. And the father standing there looking at him like he's stunned. He's like, Son, what, what are you saying? Everything that I have is yours. <laughs> You're sitting here talking about never gave you a goat. Every goat, every cow, every lamb, every blade of grass, every building, everything that you see that, that I have, it's yours. So Father wants us to understand that He has withheld no good thing from us. Come on now. See, see, here, here is, um, here, here's the when I say the challenge, just stay with me now, okay? Stay with me. Um, I I can I could talk to you, I could talk beneath you, or we can let the Holy Spirit help us. Because the the Holy Spirit, remember, it's not just about what God can do for you. It's it's about where He wants to take us. He He doesn't. You see, we come to church, want to know if God can do something for us. And we've got to get on the same page with God because God's not just interested in doing something for you. God's wanting to take you somewhere you've never been before. He's wanting to take you to levels of understanding and, and, and victory and results in your walk with Him that you've never experienced before. He's wanting to, he's wanting to take you somewhere and, and we're just kind of sitting back wanting Him to do something for us. And and that's what we see in this parable of the two sons, the younger brother and the older brother. They both wanted what their dad could give to them. They both wanted what their dad could do for them. But neither one of them really wanted or even cared about understanding the heart that their father had for them and what he wanted for them, what his desires were for his two sons. And so many so many people in the body of Christ, today. and when I say the body of Christ, I'm not just talking about here at Heritage. I'm talking about the body of Christ worldwide. They they come to Jesus based solely upon what He can do for them. Maybe not you, and I pray it's not you, but how many of God's people will be in a church somewhere this morning for only for what they can get out of it? It's what we can get out of it. It's not just about what you can get out of it. It's about letting Him... Show you some things and change some things and, and reprioritize some things and open your eyes to some things so he can take you to levels of life and living that you will never get to without him. All right. Amen. Are you still with me? Praise the name of the living God. Now, I'm going to review some things rather quick. Like Romans 12 and 2 tells us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That means beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for your life. And you're not trying to prove it to God. God already knows it. He's wanting you and me to put some things into practice in our lives that we've learned from Him so that we can become living proof of a living God. So that it will be proven to you. So that it will be proven to you. One of the most important lessons we can ever learn is to learn to trust God. And you will never learn to trust God unless you actually trust Him. You, you can't learn trust by never trusting. But when you trust and when you step out and when you begin to take these, these, uh, make these moves of faith, Brother Charles Caps, I was thinking about him this morning, his, uh, his program was Adventures in Faith. When we actually begin to step out and begin to express our trust, Honor God with and trust God with the substance of our increase and and these kinds of things. This is when uh, the words of God and the ways of God and the wisdom of God go from theories in our lives to proven truths in our lives. So we said that a reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life. A reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life. And we've said that alongside this significant shift word is that a significant shift in our lives requires a significant shift in our thinking. But last week and the week before, the Holy Spirit began to really narrow our focus because thinking is a big subject. And, and ultimately, a, a re, renewing or reconditioning of our, of our minds or our thinking is, is going to culminate in our perception. The way that we perceive. So, a significant shift then in our lives requires a significant shift in our perception. Father wants to change the way you perceive Him. He wants you to change, He wants to change the way you perceive yourself. Now, perceive means to be aware of, to be conscious of. Perceive has to do with the way you see things, the way you look at things, the way you understand things. And if you figured out by now that not everybody sees things the way you see them. Not everybody understands things the way you understand them. Amen. So this idea that there's this universal perception that everyone has or everyone shares, again, that's just, life doesn't bear that out. Now there is the truth. Are you hearing me? There is the the truth, and the truth is more than words on a page. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know the truth about God, study the life of Jesus. And if you can't find it in the life and teachings of Jesus, it's not God. That's what the scriptures teach us. Amen. So when we talk about this this idea of everybody seeing things the same way, we know that's not true. But ultimately what Father God is trying to do is He's trying to, to help us perceive things and see things the way He sees them. Because that's truth. The way you see it versus the way God sees it, right? But what if we were to begin to see it the way He sees it? Or perceive it the way He perceives it? Now... Last week, we looked at a classic example. I'm not going to go back through all those scriptures, but we see it in John chapter 20, verse 9. Speaking of the disciples, it says, for, they, for, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. For those of you that were here last week, did they not know it because Jesus never told them? No, he told them over and over again. We looked at three different instances in the Gospel of Matthew alone where Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be killed and that he would be dead for three days and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. He told them point blank. He told them very specifically. We, we see that he also told them uh, in parable form uh, in, in, you know, using metaphors. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Tear this temple down, I'll build it again in three days. So he told them specifically, he told them metaphorically. He, he so made it known that he would be raised from the dead in three days that his enemies were afraid that someone would steal his body to perpetuate what they considered to be a lie. In other words, it wasn't a secret that Jesus told uh, people who would listen to him that he would be killed and that he would be raised from the dead three days later. So much so that his enemies who were behind him being crucified and executed knew what Jesus said about this. This was no secret. This was no secret. But in John chapter 20, talking about how the disciples were responding. Come on now, that's a key word. How the disciples were responding to him being treated so harshly, him being beaten almost to death, then executed like a common criminal. We see that um, they were in fear. Anybody remember Jesus saying something like this to them? If they hated me, they'll hate you. (laughs) Do you remember when Jesus said something like this? He said, listen, I'm just trying to let you guys know what you're getting into here. All right?" He says, um, there will come a day when if somebody kills you, they'll think they did God a service. That's how confused the, the people were and the world was. Well, do you not think that some of those thoughts maybe, this whole idea that Jesus told them over and over again that he would be raised from the dead? Are you hearing me? But I don't think that, as a matter of fact, I know that's not what they were thinking about. But what were they thinking about? they killed him they that, that means we're next if they thought they were honoring god by killing him then they're gonna come after us we're we gotta hide we gotta run we gotta see it it's the devil tries to do the same thing with us today somebody gets up in front of you and teaches and preaches that god's a good god somebody gets up in front of you and talks about how god is for you he's not against you how he's freely given you all things i cannot tell you how many times over the years not so much in a sermon after a sermon but but during a class someone will raise their hand and they will say what about job what about job never mind what about jesus See how quickly we forget all that Jesus said, all that Jesus changed. Job didn't, I'm not here to teach on Job this morning, but Job didn't have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. We have a binding agreement Made with God on our behalf, ratified by the blood of Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is an eternal operating agreement with God that cannot be broken. It's the same covenant and operating agreement that we will have with God a thousand years from now. The operating agreement that we have with God while on this earth will not have to be modified one iota to accommodate our life on streets of gold one day. But you see how the the devil does this? I'm just trying to show you an example here. Jesus told them over and over and over again, I don't want your hearts to be troubled, men. I want you to understand what's going to happen so this won't take you by surprise, so this won't cause you to be afraid, so this won't, because fear has torment. You need to understand this. They're going to kill me and they're going to bury me, but three days later I will be raised up from the dead again. He told them that over and over again. But when they saw him arrested, And when they saw him beaten, and when they saw him crucified, and then buried, that's not what was going through their minds. That was not what their response was based upon. Think about it for a moment, and I want to just spend a moment here, okay? Just say with me, all right? Jesus' arrest, we could talk about the three days he was in the grave, all right? But their torment did not begin after he died, it began with his arrest. So we're talking about basically something over a four-day span. His arrest, his mock trial, his crucifixion, his burial, these were among the most difficult days those closest to Jesus ever endured. They had paralyzing fear, devastating grief, joined together with an awful sense of regret. And you talk about second thoughts. What was I thinking? What was I thinking three years ago? I had I had boats. I had all the business licenses. I, I was in right standing with the government. I had a major fishing operation. I mean, I wasn't the richest man in the world, but I was making a good living for my family. And I walked away from all of that to follow some carpenter. I got caught up in this whole, I, could, I, could have, I should have just dock, dry docked them boats and, and, oh man, what was I thinking? You know, again, this, this, this terrible sense of regret, this paralyzing fear. They're going to come after me. They're going to come after my family. These people are ruthless. They're hiding. They're terrorized. Now, think how differently their experience could have been if they had perceived these events according to Jesus' words. I'm trying to get you to see something here. We, haven't, we have a pattern in Scripture to look at. As a matter of fact, it's a type and shadow. It's when God said to His friend Abraham, I want you to take your... 30-some-odd-year-old son up on that mountain put some wood on his back. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) And I want you to take him up there, and I want you to offer him to me. We cannot prove this in Scripture, but it would not surprise me if when we get to heaven you're going to find out that the very spot where Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice Isaac was the very spot. All those years later, the Romans planted the cross with Jesus nailed to it. Abraham and God ran a covenant with one another. And if you understand how a covenant works, anything that one covenant partner asks of or requires of the other, he is obligating himself to do in the future. When Abraham... When, I'm sorry, when God asked Abraham to offer his only son, because God was Abraham's covenant partner, he was obligating himself to one day offer his only son. God wasn't being cruel. He wasn't trying to see what Abraham was made of. God knows everything, but he doesn't know what Abraham's made of. Are you kidding me? All this is covenant language. He, Abraham did not go with Isaac to the mountain with paralyzing fear. Are you hearing me? He did not go with devastating grief, nor did he go with a foreboding sense of, of regret. He told Sarah, me and the boy will be back before you ever went. If I'm wrong, I'll apologize. But I think we've been told this story incorrectly. I believe Abraham was at least on some level disappointed because the Bible says he had already received Isaac raised from the dead in a figure. Meaning what? He already saw him raised from the dead. He went there in obedience to God, to sacrifice his son, fully expecting to see one of the most amazing sights that would ever be seen on planet Earth. We have no record of anyone ever being raised from the dead. Abraham was about to see a first. As a matter of fact, I believe that Abraham was going to plunge that knife in Isaac's chest, set his body on fire, and then stand back and watch God raise up a nation from the ashes. He already saw it in a figure. What does that mean? He, he, he was aware and conscious... He he had perceived, this was how he saw this thing turning out. This is how he saw it unfolding. He didn't see this ending in loss. He didn't see this ending in defeat. He didn't see this ending in how in the world am I ever going to explain this to his mama? He had a different perception. He was actually excited about it. You don't have to believe that to go to heaven, but I'm telling you, If the disciples had only listened to Jesus, if they had only let what He told them about how all this was going to unfold, if if they had only allowed that to change their perception of this situation, they would not have been hiding in fear. They would would not have been terrorized or, or regret. Or, or experiencing this devastating loss and grief, they would have been like sleep. We can't sleep, man. How many more? How many more days do you think it's going to be? Like at sunrise, when? Let's all be there when he comes out. But that's not where they were, was it? No. So when it says they did not know the scripture, that word "know" there is is the word "perceive." They heard him say it. They knew, they knew about it in the sense that he told them but it, but it was not something that, that was shaping the way they looked at or responded to. That's so, such a key word here. It did not change the way they looked at their situation. It did not change the way they responded to the circumstances they were dealing with. You see, the wrong perception. They had the wrong perception. Their perception was not based upon what Jesus said. Their perception was based upon what the Bible calls the rudimentary elementary principles of this world. They were looking at this from a worldly fleshly perspective, from a carnal perspective. Perspective. from from what happens to somebody after they they've been crucified and they've been put in a tomb and so the women brought spices right to mask the odor of his decomposing body are you, are you seeing all of this right this this was their perception was formed. How they saw it was formed by the world around them, by their experiences in the world, by how it had turned out for everybody else they had ever known or seen or heard about that had been crucified or died or buried. That was their perception. So the wrong perception had them seeing defeat when they should have seen victory, the wrong perception had them seeing the end when they should have seen a new beginning. The wrong perception had them seeing loss instead of great gain. Because their perception was wrong, their response was wrong. So the disciples' perception here, we're kind of breaking some of this down. Praise God. Are you good? we got a few more minutes. Can you hang in here a few more minutes? Yes? Can you come back? Because we got more than we're going to get to in a few minutes. Amen? Are you getting anything out of this? Let me just let let, you, you say, well, what was all that at the beginning, Pastor Mark? Just stay with me here for a minute, all right? It's so easy, come on now. It's so easy to look at them and go, Man, you knuckleheads. How many times he gotta tell you he's gonna die and raise from the dead for you believe him? How many times he gotta tell you how this thing's gonna play out? How many times he gotta tell you that this is how it's gonna end? How many times he gotta look you in the eye and say, listen, this may not look, seem, or feel like victory, but it's victory. This may not look, seem, and feel like a new beginning, but it's a new beginning. This may not look, seem, and feel like great gain, but I'm telling you, this is great gain. Don't let how you think about this thing based upon the way it unfolds in the world determine how you respond when all this goes down. So easy to look at them and say, how many times does he have to tell them before they believe it? Well, let me ask you a few questions. How many times he got to tell you you're free before you believe it? How many times he got to tell you you're righteous before you believe it? How many times he got to tell you that you're blessed before you believe it how many times he got to tell you you're healed before you believe it how many times he got to tell you you're whole before you begin to see yourself as a whole person instead of a broken person trying to get whole see it's so easy to look at them but there are all kinds of things that he said to you and me over and over and over and over again. And yet we still look at it the way the world looks at it. We still look at it through uh, the, the stained glass of religion. We, we still look at it based upon what the preacher who maybe meant well at Mama Nim's church told us when we were seven years old. Never mind what the Bible says about it. Never mind what God says about it. Luke 18 and 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? How many of you know that Jesus didn't just talk to hear himself speak? Now this, this right here, this ought to stir you. I mean, this, this verse needs some meditating. You need to think on this right here, okay? Because you do realize that Jesus did everything that he did for you and me without any guarantee you, me, or anybody else for that matter would ever take him up on his offer. He explains this in Romans 5. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Without any guarantee that anybody would. So when he says, I wonder if when I return, because remember he left, but he said... The angel said, the same Jesus that left here is coming back here one day. So Jesus is saying, I wonder if when I come, I'll find faith on the earth. Well, he hasn't returned yet, but he's returning. And Jesus was genuinely asking a question. Will he find? Now, you think, well, of course he'll find faith on the earth. Well, when he came as a baby, he didn't find a lot of people believing When he came back from the grave, we don't know of anybody that was believing. So before we get, you know, too much on our high horse and think this is a ridiculous question, it's a legitimate question. The key thing that I want to leave you with this morning about perception is how we perceive determines how we respond. How we perceive determines how we respond. All right, so thank you, Holy Spirit. He reminded me. So what does this have to do with where we started? See, Jesus is wanting to take you to the next level of faith perception. What does that mean? He's he's wanting you to begin to see yourself as someone who's been given all things. But how can you believe you've been given all things if you don't even believe yet that you're free? How can you see yourself as someone who is the owner, possessor, and distributor of all things, if you don't even see yourself as righteous? The the whole hierarchy, right? If we're we're still thinking that we got to do something to be something that He's already made us, then how will you ever take that next step because the same grace that made you righteous has made you rich? Second Corinthians 8, 9. Y'all thought we forgot about that, didn't you Oh, We ain't forgot about that. No, sir. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich. For your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might be made rich. In the same way that he knew no sin but was made your sin so that you might be made his righteousness, he who was wealthy was made poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. Hadn't found anybody yet that that believes God made them rich that doesn't believe God made them righteous. Are you following what I'm saying here? How will you ever believe that he's made you rich? And how rich? Possessor of all things. Rich like Abraham was rich. I'm not making this up. I'm not what the Bible says. But now watch this. And Unless you think I've forgotten, I have not forgotten. We're we're still talking about giving and receiving. We, we, We are coming back to that. But listen to me, please. We... We're, we're trying to give either to make ourselves rich or we're trying to give because we think we're poor and this is all we can do and this is all we can give and we've already received an offering so don't get nervous and think we're fixing to receive another one. Just hear me out, right? How differently would the disciples have responded if they had perceived the situation of Jesus' execution the way Jesus explained it to them? They would have responded completely different had their perception been one based upon the Word of God instead of based upon what was going on in the world, right? Well, how differently would, would we respond to an offering plate if we truly perceived ourselves as having been given all things? See, we even say we even we even say, well, you know, uh, when my ship comes in, I'm going to do this. When I, you know, well, if I won the lottery, I'd do this and I'd do that and I'd give this and I'd see, see, what what we're we thinking? We're thinking that if we were rich, we would do differently. than, say, Pastor Mark, that, that doesn't make any sense. You don't know how much money I got in my bank account. Believing that he made you rich has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. Just like believing you're righteous and that He made you righteous has nothing to do with how good or how bad you've been this week. Just like believing that by His stripes you were healed has nothing to do with whether you have symptoms or not. How many drug screens do you have to pass before you believe you're free? It's nothing to do with whether you... You could have failed a drug screen this morning. It has nothing to do with believing that He made you free. And when you begin to believe you're free, you begin to see yourself as free. Guess what? Starts showing up in your life reality. Freedom. All right, i got to get this last part. So perception then determines response. Why is that important? You realize that every strategy, every scheme, and for that matter, it's probably more obvious here, every temptation from the devil has a singular goal. Manipulate your response. Everything the devil brings against you, every attack, Mind, body, circumstances, what's going on around you, what's caught your eye, lust of the eyes, uh, lust of the flesh, pride of life, whatever. All of these things are strategies, tactics, schemes, wiles, plays that the devil's making. But every one of them, no matter what form they take, no matter what the temptation may be, the singular goal of every one of those different things the devil tries is to manipulate your response. He's trying to get you to respond in a way that's contrary to the way God created you, to the way God designed you, contrary to the way God created you to live, contrary to right living, contrary to godly living, contrary to generous living, contrary, amen. So notice now, if the devil then can manipulate your response, responses he can control your life to the extent that he can manipulate your responses he can control your life so let's let's praise God I don't know why I'm rushing amen deep breath the devil cannot make you do anything and he cannot mess up your life without your cooperation can't do it can't do it so if the devil can manipulate your responses he can control your life And that is so accurate to the extent that He does control your responses. To that extent, He controls your life. Anger, hate, judging others, taking offense, refusing to show mercy, refusing to to forgive, selfishness, all of these things, right? Responses. Responses that are contrary to the way God designed to stand with me please this morning praise God praise the name of the living God I'm not sure how many decades I've been preaching but I'm still one part of this you would think I'd be better at by now and that's determining how much I can cover in a sermon amen amen but I we could still be sitting here at two and I could still be talking I got I got a lot of stuff here This is where we will be, Lord willing, next week, okay? Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. So we see these four different titles, heir, child, slave, master. He just spent three chapters in the Galatians laying down this case from the scriptures, that you are the heir of God. Then he says, though you be the heir, as long as you think, understand, and speak like a child, you're going to experience life as a slave, though you be, being, not doing right, be master of all, King James says, Lord of all. one who is a master are you ready for this i can't wait to teach you this in greater detail a master because that that was the part and we hear that and we think you know i talked about home and garden tv if you notice now they're not calling it master bedroom anymore trying to be sensitive so they call it primary bedroom and listen slavery was a scourge on this nation and if, if, if that helps somebody then i'm fine with calling it a primary bedroom but sometimes we read this and we automatically think you know like a master slave And I guess there maybe could be some implications here, but this word master, it literally means, from the Greek, it's the K-U-R-I-O-U-S in the Greek, it means the owner, possessor, and distributor. Okay? Distributor. One who has absolute authority. We see this in in the scriptures as the the, um, lord of the harvest or the master of the feast. So, you have been given all things. Amen. Come on now. You, <laughs> See, I feel the like, it's like, do what? No, no. I do not want you to get to heaven one day and hunt me down and say something like this to me. I sat in that church for years and you never told me I had been given all things? You've been given all things. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. Okay, But as long as you perceive yourself as ignorant, immature, and unable to speak on your own behalf, your life reality, you're going to experience life as a slave, though you be, you've been made by God the owner, possessor, and distributor. It literally means that you have absolute authority to take what you've been given, buy it, sell it, or transfer it to another. Do you see the biblical implications, the gospel implications of all of that? How about this? Jesus said, you will lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. What does that mean? It means you are so thoroughly healed and you have so much healing in you that you can transfer it to another person. All right. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for life and peace. Holy Spirit, thank you for taking what was, I think, somewhat disjointed, but we're laying some foundation, Father, and you're stretching us, and you're helping us, Father, move beyond some of these very, very important, life-changing, eternity-changing principles, but basic nonetheless, into those deeper waters. Lord, we splashed around in the shallows long enough. You're calling us deeper. And not just so that we can have more, but so that we can be blessed to be a blessing. You've given us the ability to get wealth so that your covenant might be established in all the earth. And Jesus, I thank you that you are not threatened by us. You are not ashamed to call us brethren even when We may continue to struggle in areas of fleshly weakness. That you joyfully welcomed us into the family as heirs of our Father and as co-heirs together with you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you, Father, that these words will not be stolen from us by the enemy. But, Father, they will be watered, they will grow, they will put down roots, and they will produce fruit in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope you got something out of this. I'll see some of you in the morning, some of you Wednesday. You have a blessed rest of your week. Praise God.